0: Hello friends, welcome to Keep It Real with Rachel Sinclair. I'm your host, Rachel, and today I have a very special guest for you. In honor of Father's Day coming up this Sunday, I have my dad, Don Sinclair, on the show. My dad is a wonderful man. I've always described him as having a heart of gold because that's just the kind of person he is. On this podcast, we talk about many different life things, but he also talks about financial advice and he answers listener submitted questions that you sent in several weeks ago. At the end of the podcast, my dad shares a story about how after working at the same company for nearly 30 years, he faced a position elimination. And it's such a powerful testimony to the power of God's provision and his faithfulness in the waiting. I just loved listening to this episode and I hope you enjoy it as well. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my dad. Hey everybody, this is my dad. He's on the podcast. Say hi, dad.
1: Hello, everybody.
0: I'm so excited.
1: Me too. Glad to be here. (laughs)
0: You are the second Sinclair family member to be on the podcast, followed by the now so semi-famous Angie.
1: Yeah, but I want to know why I wasn't first.
0: Oh, <laughs> he winked, everybody. You can't see the wink. Um, well, hey, you're not last. We've still got Andrew, who I think is asleep upstairs taking a nap.
1: So well, I definitely want to hear that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he asked, he said, can I be on the podcast? And I said, are you going to talk?
1: We'll see. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We'll see. Well, Dad, thank you for coming on. You're quite welcome. Obviously, I wanted to have you on because. You're my dad and I love you and I hold you in high esteem and it'd be fun to talk to you. But as we were brainstorming about, you know, what else could dad talk about on the podcast? We thought, well, we meaning me and mom, <laughs> we of thought, course. <laughs> right? Of course we thought he is so wise, so smart when it comes to financial wisdom, which is something that a lot of people my age struggle with. You know, we're suddenly out in the world with our first jobs and it's how do you handle money? So that's part of it. You're also really good at general life advice when it comes to handling people situations, when it comes to work situations, or should I change careers? What should my resume look like? All these things you are very good at. So I had people submit questions on Instagram and Facebook, hashtag ask ask dad, (laughs) that's kind of hard to say, hashtag ask dad. And We're going to read their questions on the podcast today. But the caveat is sometimes, don't take offense, Dad, you do get a little wordy and long- I'm offended. (laughs) You know this is true. You get a little wordy and long-winded talking about the KQPs and the DWJs and all this financial lingo. So if that happens today, I have a taboo buzzer. Can the microphone hear that? Yeah, I think so. So if that happens, I wish I had this in normal life, normal conversations. I get to buzz you and that means you got to take it down a few levels and bring it down into more every man's speech.
1: Well, let's hope you don't need to use the buzzer.
0: You you know this came with it and you signed up uh, for know, it. I know, I <laughs> know. It's pretty funny. Mom and Andrew thought it was hilarious. They were like, yes, put the buzzer on dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. First of all, can you just tell us about yourself? I obviously know this story, but tell us about where you grew up, what you studied in college, how I came along, you know.
1: Sure. So Mm -hmm. I uh, grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and then uh, in college, uh, got an engineering degree and then got my MBA and then went to work in, well, slow
0: down, slow down. You grew up in Birmingham
1: yeah, I grew up in Birmingham and uh, got my, an engineering degree from Auburn and then got my MBA from Alabama. Ended up working in banking, never worked as an engineer, and have been in commercial banking my entire career, Different, uh, several different things, but all within the realm of commercial banking. I've Which,
0: well, i have to interrupt you because when I was a kid and I heard you did commercial banking, I was like, I want to be in the commercial. Can you get <laughs> me in? <laughs>
1: it has nothing to do with commercials.
0: Yeah, I didn't understand that. I still really don't understand that, but... <laughs> so
1: anyway, as to how you came along, uh, your mom and I met as adults in a singles group at church, got to be friends, and then uh, started dating after about a year or so of friendship, and uh, and then uh, got engaged, got married. So after we'd been married a couple years, and uh, we had our first child, and that was you. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and, uh, How
0: was I as a child?
1: Well, you were you were high um, you were high maintenance <laughs> as a uh, as a baby and even as a toddler and uh, very serious. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you're very smart and I guess that came from you know that reflected when you were serious. But uh, well, thanks. You know, as long as as we got through elementary school, you blossomed into a, one, the wonderful person that you are, and we saw that. Uh, I would say from fourth grade on. Yeah. But yeah, high maintenance as a as a as a child, very serious.
0: Yes, you know, I think I really kind of came alive. Well, I mean, I guess I was getting better in like second and third grade, but when we moved to Montgomery in fourth grade, I think I just like that's when I hit the good fun happy child status. I mean, I was a I was a happy child. I was just serious and very particular, but I kind of came into the person I am today, I guess, when we moved. Maybe because that pushed me into a new environment and
1: maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so.
0: I don't don't I mean, do you kind of think that adds up?
1: Yeah, I to do. Our family, I do. Tomlin? I do.
0: So, yes, and we have one other brother. That's right. Or he came along when you were son.
1: almost 3 years old, and so that's our family.
0: Yes, and apparently I loved him from day one, but I was mad at mom for giving her attention to someone else. Probably so.
1: Probably. You have (laughs) always loved your brother, though.
0: Yes, I have. And today we celebrated his college graduation. He graduated from Auburn University as well. That's right. So that was very exciting. very
1: exciting day for the Sinclair family. Definitely.
0: Well, that was a great summary. Well, thank you. Okay, so the first topic I think we should talk about is something that everyone deals with or should deal with. Um, that people have a lot of questions about. But what is budgeting? Why is it so important? And how can I find a budget that fits me? How can people find a budget that fits them? Tell us about budgeting.
1: Okay, well, budgeting, uh, to me, it's basically planning your spending and planning your spending so that you spend less than you take in, so that your cash inflow is greater than your cash outflow. And, you know, there are, I mean, Crown Financial Ministries, Dave Ramsey, plenty of people provide budgeting tools. And and your mom and I did not, um, you know, a traditional budget down to the nth degree would say we're going to spend $200 a month or less on groceries and track that. We really didn't track to that degree. We kind of... Had it to, here's the things Angie typically buys, and this is her budgeted funds. Here's the things I typically pay for, and that's my budget, and we worked it that way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that worked for us. So I think, you know, number one is, is you've got to plan how much you need to save for long-term type savings, retirement, 401K, shorter-term ter- shorter term type savings items that we'll talk about in a little bit, like car repairs, insurance, and things like that. And, you know, to me, part of a, a key part of budgeting is pay yourself first. You know, have deductions come out of your paycheck, come out of your account right after you get paid to take care of those types of things so that you can't spend that money and then it's there when you need it.
0: Definitely. Okay, so let's talk about that because I kind of think there are tiers of budgeting, at least in my, you know, more simplified brain (laughs) when it comes to this kind of thing. So, first of all, you have your salary, then you have taxes, right? Mm -hmm. Done. That's correct. And then... For me as a Christian, and some people who listen to this podcast are Christians, some aren't, that's fine. We welcome everybody. But, you know, for Christians, we take 10% as a tithe, and that comes out. Well, I guess you can tithe before tax or after tax.
1: You can calculate the tithe before tax, and that's what we've always done. That's what we talked to you. But the reality is taxes will get deducted before your net pay gets to put into your Right. So what comes into
0: my account on a Friday already has taxes taken out of it. For most people. Right, exactly. But those are kind of the top tiers, tax-tied, like those are out. Then technically you could have that just all in your account, but we need to be saving it. So where is kind of that – secondary tier of you should be putting money away for this every month?
1: Well, everybody needs to save for retirement. Very few people, very few companies offer pension plans anymore. So everybody, for the most part, just about everybody is responsible for saving for their own retirement. That can mean, you know, contributing to a 401k plan at work, could mean contributing to your own IRA if you don't have a 401k, or it could be both, depending on your situation, I guess. Uh, And then there's also, um, you know, pretty easy to pay the power bill because it comes along monthly. Most people get paid twice a month or every two weeks. Uh, A lot harder to plan on for medical expenses because you don't know they may you may go nine or ten months without a medical expense and then have a lot of medical expenses in two or three months. How do you plan for those? So I think for those non-monthly expenses, uh, it's important to make estimates of what you think your cost will be, and then um, you know have contribute so much uh, out of your paycheck every month, every payroll, to some types of savings account so that you have money set aside for, as an example, medical expenses uh, when they when they come.
0: Definitely. Okay. So we have retirement, whether that's 401k, Roth IRA, IRA, and you can get into the weeds of that. You know, you can do research and maybe you'll, you'll speak to that later in this podcast, but whatever you're saving for retirement. Right. Right. Second of those secondary categories is medical expenses. And this can be for doctor co-pays, for an emergency room visit, for, and when I kind of made this up, what I did was look at the past couple months and average out my medical costs per month, you know, with, well, I guess I did it over a period of a year. Actually, I went back and it might've been 2018 at that point and added up doctor co co-pays, prescription medication, um, anything else that would fall under that. You know, I got poison ivy one time and had right. to buy this expensive cream and, um, you know, all of that and then, uh, you know, let that come out to a certain amount a month. And then I added a little bit to be sure. And so that's how much I save per month. Um, that's that would how be, I calculate. That would be one okay. way
1: to do it for medical. Another would be to figure out, you know, some people might say f- go to their policy Mm -hmm. figure out what their maximum out-of-pocket for the year is, divide that by 24 if they get paid twice a month, and then contribute that. And then if they don't fully spend that, they've got some money left over to carry into next year. That's true. And some employers offer health savings accounts where you can do that through a vehicle at work.
0: Right, for sure. Okay, so that's number two in this category. Uh, What's another one that I used this weekend?
1: Well, auto repairs. And that's yes. one that, uh, you know, again, very irregular, uh, you know, if you're driving a...
0: And unpredictable.
1: Unpredictable. If you're driving a brand new car, or a car that's a year old, your auto repair expense will probably be less than someone who's driving a car that's four or five years old. But you've got to plan accordingly, and, you know, unless you just were born wealthy or born with a lot of money. So, estimate how much you, you take your car repair expense from last year, divide by 24 and set that aside amount, and set, the, a, set aside that amount for car repairs.
0: Right. This has been incredibly helpful for me because obviously we have the oil chains. I have an older car, so I need to get the oil changed more often or something else will go wrong in the car. But when I go to do that or if they need the brake pads added to i don't know these you terms need brake
1: pads sure
0: yeah <laughs> or a pipe cleared i don't know then it's like i already have the money so it's not even hurting me that month because i just pull it out of the auto savings account that happened this weekend when i got in the car noticed low pr- tire pressure sign and I was I was really proud of myself because I didn't say well my car seems fine I'm just gonna go on doing whatever I pulled over looked out and sure enough there was a nail in my tire so I went and had to take it to the shop and get it fixed but I already had the money set aside for it so I was so grateful that you have taught me how to do this
1: and we're proud of you for checking on that immediately and not just ignoring it
0: yes as I have done in the past
1: <laughs> right
0: okay what else goes under that so we have retirement medical savings auto repair
1: well just anything in, in your life that doesn't come along that's not a monthly expense uh for right. us uh we like life insurance or auto insurance you can pay monthly but you'll usually pay more than if you pay quarterly or semi-annually or in the case of life insurance annual but if you got life insurance and you're going to pay it annually that, that bill comes along once a year. You got to have the yes. money ready for it. And so we, we use that. Dave Ramsey calls it lump sum payment planning. We use that type of process for life insurance and auto insurance, even though you don't have to. Definitely. You can save money.
0: And this sounds like a lot of things that are coming out of your paycheck, but really it's in small amounts and then they're there when the six months car insurance payment comes up or whatever now you're I'm really surprised you haven't said one really big one
1: well what am I not thinking of
0: auto savings
1: well yeah that's right saving for your next car
0: now this is this is a huge thing because I think a lot of people don't do this and not that there's one right way or wrong way to buy a car rent a car save a car but this is what you have done and have modeled for me and I think it's really different and really smart but you're you're Putting in, you're doing the hard work on the front end, so that you're not paying for it later. So tell us about your process of buying a car.
1: Yeah, we've always tried to tried to pay cash for cars, not try to and try not to borrow to buy a car. I mean, auto loans are out there, and some people find that you know works to their benefit. But for us, it's always been better to uh, pay cash for a car and then uh, try to save per month, you know, for the next car, make a provision for saving for the next car. Right. Um, and
0: essentially either way you are putting away money from your paycheck towards the car. But instead of making a car payment, you are paying yourself yeah, to save yeah. for a car. Which yeah. in the end you're not paying all that interest and exactly. so it comes Exactly. Out ahead. Yeah. I
1: mean if uh, you know if you ever heard of Crown Financial Ministries or Dave Ramsey, you know, they would tell you if you have to borrow to buy a car Try to borrow over three years or four as opposed to longer. Definitely. And then keep driving the car once you've once you've paid the loan off and keep taking that loan payment and put it in savings. And, you know, we've just tried to do that, but on the front end paying cash and, and tried to avoid, you know, having a car payment at all together. But either way works. But right. we just have found that to be very, very beneficial.
0: I remember one time I was sitting with a group of people and this girl said, Oh, you know, I it's about time for me to start looking for a new car because I'm almost done with my car payments. And I just my eyes about bugged out of my head because I was thinking, "Oh my goodness, you could have months where you weren't making this car payment or you were putting that money somewhere else to save." But in her mind, it was even if her car was perfectly fine, it was, "Oh, time to get a new car so I can get a new payment." I was like, ah! <laughs> "Yeah, I
1: mean, if you if you if somebody borrows to buy a car, and then as soon as the loan's paid, they get a new car, and they borrow to buy that car, they've always got a car payment, right. and there's just there's just financial risk there. If you get become unemployed, um, you know there, it's 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 less risky to keep driving that car when the loan's paid for and save what you were making as a car payment.
0: Totally. Or if you have a an enormous medical expense that takes you by surprise, you right. know you can yeah, have flexibility there. Yeah. And then that third tier is what you were saying how You and mom did it where you have your spending, she has her spending or budgeting in this way. But I break mine down into six or so categories. I have clothing, food, (laughs) well, grocery, which a lot of things go for, grocery and household items, entertainment. I even have a small coffee budget for every two weeks. You can laugh in the microphone. He's turning away to laugh. I'm laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Because I do. I like coffee. And that's part of my, I like to walk down to frothy and get a, it used to be $2.14. Now it's $2.41. You may say I'm a moron right now. No, 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 no. (laughs) I know you
1: love your coffee.
0: I do. And I like to walk around downtown. So anyway, that's something important to me on a regular basis. So I budget for it. So you've got kind of the taxes, tithe. All of these other important save monthly or paycheck per paycheck savings, and then the other categories. So,
1: well, I mean, when you say the other categories, like the regular monthly bills, right? Yeah, and yeah,
0: and regular monthly bills for sure.
1: Yeah, so. and and those are obviously easier to plan for. I mean, because you get the power bill every month, and you get paid twice a month or every two weeks, and but still, if you know, it's still important to you know spend less than you make.
0: Right, definitely. Okay. That was great, Dad. Well, thank you. Corona-approved fist bump. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Question number two comes from good friend of the podcast, Valerie Marcus, also former guest on the podcast. She said, what are good starter investments for people in their 20s? How do you begin that process?
1: I think the starting point, if you work for a company that offers a 401k plan, and especially one that provides a match, that's the starting point. Because uh, you want to contribute to that plan take advantage of the tax advantage and then also if there's a match you want to contribute enough to get the full match otherwise you're leaving money on the table and then those plans will have you know usually a limited number of of investments and i would say the younger you are the more you want to be in stock funds because you, you know that's the really the best investment over long periods of time
0: let's say theoretically if my company has a 2% match i would be better advised to put all my money in long term savings towards that two percent rather than say like, oh, one percent goes towards that match and I'm gonna invest this other one percent elsewhere. You would say put, put it put all. Put the two put the two okay. percent
1: in the in the four oh one K plan. Perfect. And usually with most companies it's maybe a, a three or a four or a five percent or even more. Okay. And so yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense to be contributing three percent elsewhere and nothing to your four oh one K plan and and then not get the company match.
0: Sure. Awesome. So that's the
1: starting point. And then the other, the other. I mean, there's all kind of mutual fund options out there, um, and, and plenty of places to get good advice. I would say, you know, the the younger you are, the the more you need to be in stocks. And then as you get older, have a lower percentage, a sliding percentage as you age. Less percentage in stocks, more in bonds, and and say cash. Okay, uh,
0: mm, I okay. This could just be me being dumb. I thought bonds were super long term so you would want to get bonds while you're young
1: no that's just bond maturities so okay. basically like uh, sort of a, a standard uh, i know many people would say if you're in your 20s be 100 percent in stocks mm-hmm. and then say i mean you, you get all kind of advi- different opinions but say when you're somebody my age age 55 probably shouldn't be 100 percent in stocks okay some would Got say it. maybe 60 percent stock 40 percent bond some may say 70 30 some may say 50 50 but probably not 100% in stocks.
0: But the reason for after you've got your retirement, you know, you're know, you contributing significantly to that, the next step would be stocks because that gives the stock market time to go in an upward trend.
1: Well, I mean, the stock market uh, over long periods of time does has historically done better than any other investment. So that's why as a young person, yes. get in the stocks. And you would okay. do that within your 401k as well. If you're Correct. in your 20s, a heavier percentage in stocks. If you're my age... Some in stock, certainly, but not all.
0: Okay, Dad, I'm so proud of you. I haven't had to buzz you once.
1: That's kind of boring, huh?
0: No, no, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. You've you've not kept it too crazy. Maybe that's just when you're talking about your own job, where we get all the crazy acronyms and.
1: No, it's uh, uh, it's you're, been you're other things. It's been a sometimes the long <laughs> answer is required, and y'all don't understand that.
0: Ugh, yeah. All right, moving on to the second question. Okay, this is a good one. What does the term work-life balance mean to you personally, and how do you fight for it?
1: Well, okay, first of all, so uh, I think, um, you know, in most white-collar jobs, which is what I've had, uh, you know, salaried employee, um, you know, you, got, you have to take the long-term view. Because work-life balance, I've run into this as a manager, in, in, a, in a job like that, work-life balance doesn't happen every day. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen on average, you know. So it doesn't mean if I want work-life balance, you know, unless I'm in an hourly type job, I can't plan on clocking in at 8 and clocking out at 5. You know, some days I can wrap up at 3 if I need to and go, you know, see a a child's baseball game or something. Sometimes I'm working till 7, but, you know, I've got to look at the job. I've I've had to look at my job on average. Do I have work-life balance on average? Mm. And, you know, what that means is, I mean, a job could require you to work maybe, you know, 60 or 70 hours, uh, you know, to get through a special project. But if it's requiring that week in, week out, and I don't have enough time for family, don't have enough time to take care of my household responsibilities, then, then the work-life balance is not there.
0: That's a really good answer. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't that. But kind of, you're saying kind of zoom out and look at work-life balance as a whole over the long term, not just, oh, I've had a really, really hard week. I'm awful at work-life balance. Yeah. 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 Or
1: this job, you can't just look at one week and say, this job's not letting me have work-life balance.
0: Great answer. Okay. This is a really relevant question in today's world. We're recording this on May 24th, 2020. So in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. This question says, do you recommend increasing beyond a six-month emergency fund post-coronavirus, or I guess even during coronavirus, if working in a volatile industry?
1: Well, I think that, uh, yes.
0: Not done. (laughs) A little more of the question. Or would that money be better served growing elsewhere?
1: Well, I think, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to that question. I think uh, I would say in general, if you're early in your career, you know somebody in their 20s in banking i'll talk about what i know somebody in their 20s you know two or three years experience all of the things being equal would probably have an easier time finding a job than someone who's age 55 you know my age uh you know so i need to have more at my age in savings for a potential job loss than somebody who's in their 20s in general you know if if you if your industry is more volatile then that would argue for more if uh if you're older, that would argue for more. If you don't want to relocate, that would argue for having more. Because if you're willing to lo- relocate, you've got more options, in, at least in theory. But if you're, you know, for family reasons or whatever, have to stay in the city where you're currently located, that would argue for more savings. So, you know, I mean, some people, I think, teach, you know, have a three-month reserve as, as a minimum and then try to get it to six. And then uh, I feel like at my age, I would need more than six.
0: Okay. What if, let's say hypothetically, I am in an industry very affected by COVID and I have six months worth of savings and then I don't have a 401k match or any kind of retirement match. Would it be better served to put money into a retirement savings where I don't have access to that money or should I build up more savings because of coronavirus in the industry I'm in?
1: I would say if if you, you know, it's, it's an individual decision. There's no right or wrong answer. If you're if, if you're in a job that is more volatile, more uncertain because of coronavirus or any other factor and you don't have a 401k match, if if it would give you greater peace of mind to take the 401k money, redirect it into emergency savings so that you can take that six month reserve up to seven months or eight months or nine months, then go ahead and do it. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. Right. I mean, you're missing, you may be missing out on a 401k tax deduction, but you'll have peace of mind of knowing you've built up your emergency savings. So a lot, a lot of it comes down to personal preference.
0: Definitely. And you could always reinvest that. You know, if you make it through and you feel better about things later, you can put that money that you had been saving back into retirement
1: savings. Most likely, because most plans will, you could do it directly through an IRA. Most 401k plans will allow you to contribute more than the company match. So you could do that.
0: Right. Okay. Great. You're killing it, Dad. Okay. You have reviewed hundreds, probably thousands of resumes in your career. Would you say that's correct?
1: I would say hundreds, Hundreds. not thousands. Okay.
0: I'm trying to make you sound, oh, really (laughs) jazzed up You give me too much credit. Thousands of resumes. Uh, Okay. Hundreds of resumes in your career. What do you look for in a resume, and how can someone make a resume stand out?
1: Well, I think, first of all, um... In today's world, if you most people apply for jobs online, and so, you know, and I learned this uh, a few years ago, you know, it, it's important to have key industry buzzwords in your resume to get through a lot of the automatic filters that a lot of these a, a lot of HR departments use. So it's not so much Don's secret use buzzwords; it's just <laughs> that you want to use bu- buzzwords that are applicable to your industry and the kind of job that you want, so that you get through a lot of the automatic filters. If if you think about a job that's posted on Indeed how many people will apply for it? A lot, a lot more than any one person can review. And so there's usually some type of algorithm that involves reviewing the resume for key buzzwords, and so you want to you want to have that in there
0: definitely, and read the job description for key buzzwords specifically for that position yeah, as well. Yeah,
1: read the job, and and maybe if if you know somebody in HR in that industry, you know, have somebody review it. That's what I did one time a few years ago. She reviewed my resume and said, "Yeah, you, for what you want to do, you've got all the right key buzzwords in there." So
0: I love getting people to review my stuff, mm-hmm. and um, I review it for my friends. You know, it just it gives that outside perspective
1: yeah yeah now people will sometimes teach to format resume formats other than chronological i prefer chronological now that doesn't mean that they're right but when i get one that's non-chronological i tend to try to piece you know, it together put, yourself piece it, anyway piece it together myself <laughs> uh you know if you if there's a reason for a gap on your resume that's fine but be ready to answer the question i tend to always ask about a gap and uh you know, I always tend to... And again, to, that's
0: not to say that that's the end of the world right. if you have a gap. Yeah, a
1: gap can be fine. But just,
0: have your reason ready.
1: Yeah, and don't be caught off guard when somebody asks you about the gap. Right. The other thing I tend to do that not every manager does is uh, I get a resume and I'll go look people up on LinkedIn. And then, not that they're you know, sometimes people may put everything on a LinkedIn profile and they may not have everything on a resume because they're trying to keep it to one page or two pages and... So that's not necessarily wrong, but it'll catch my eye. If something's on a LinkedIn profile, it's not on a resume, may or may not ask about it.
0: Do you Now, you are off the grid as far as socials, aside from LinkedIn. Right. Do you look people up on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter?
1: I do not. Okay. But a lot HR, of people but do, but though. But HR could, and, and hiring managers could, so you need to be prepared.
0: Definitely. Can you talk about being honest on your resume? Because I know you've... That's that's really important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you want, to, you want to present yourself in the best possible light, but you don't want to go so far as to where you're rep- misrepresenting yourself. So honesty is important. Uh, embellishing, maybe that's too strong of a word. You know, some people might encourage that. I think you ought to be honest. Present yourself in the best possible light, but, you know, make sure it honestly portrays what you've done and what you mm-hmm. can do.
0: And same for a questionnaire or more aside from the resume more detailed steps that come with an application you would rather someone be honest about whether they have something legal in their past or any other thing that might be questionable you say be honest on the front end and which gives yourself an opportunity to explain rather than try to slide by and have someone catch it
1: yeah because I think you know I've um I um have had, I know, you know, companies, when they hire somebody, most companies do a background check, different levels, different companies. And I've actually, you know, seen circumstances where something didn't show up on a background check for a person. then it showed up on the same person a few years later. You know, and the question is why didn't get, you know, you wonder why didn't it get caught. But, yeah, you just want to be honest about everything.
0: Definitely. It's The Graduate! Da, 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 da. Andrew, come say hi to the podcast. Come on. I see you walking. Is this your dream or your nightmare?
1: Hello, internet.
0: Oh, why do you sound like a robot? I sound normal. He says he sounds normal. Um, Andrew, so. do you want to give us some advice that you've learned in college? It's like a mini graduation speech right here. Oh, that was good advice. Get back down there. I, we can't hear you at all if you're not in the microphone.
1: Don't wait to the last minute to do stuff.
0: Have you learned that by experience?
1: A lot of experience.
0: That's great. Anything else? That's the taboo <laughs> buzzer. I actually haven't had to use it on dad yet. That's amazing. I know. Any other pieces of life advice? Um. Graduation advice. Advice to new people going into college.
1: Don't wait to the last <laughs> minutes to do stuff.
0: Well, we know what Anders learned. <laughs> what a thing.
1: Yep. A lot about trees.
0: Yes, you've learned a lot about trees. Do you have a favorite tree?
1: I have a lot of trees that I like. Um, do you have a most hated tree? Sweetgum.
0: Why do you hate sweetgums?
1: It grows everywhere. Oh. It's a pioneer species, so it'll just grow wherever it wants.
0: So it's not like made in a covered wagon going out west. Pioneer species. You think differently than most people. (laughs) He's smiling. You can't see it, but he's laughing at me. Not really. It's more of a pity smile. But anyway, I don't want to interrupt. You can go back to dad. All right. Bye, podcast. Thank you.
1: Bye, graduate. Well, that was
0: entertaining. Okay. Great, great answer on the resume thing. We have another great question. What is your advice for buying a home for the first time? What should you look for as far as mortgages, loans, everything else?
1: Well, I would say, um, you know, first of all, uh, you know, when we, it's been a long time since we had to look for a mortgage loan. So my knowledge is probably dated. But when we were starting out, uh, you had to, if you didn't, if you, ha- if you borrowed more than 80% of the cost of the property, in other words, if your equity was less than 20%, you would have to pay private mortgage insurance, which was, additional insurance so it added to your payment so Mm. if you can save up if 20% still the number in today's world I think it is but I'm not 100% sure about that if you can save up to 20% down payment then you'll avoid private mortgage insurance and you'll have you know if you borrow to finance 80% of your home that's a lower payment than if you're borrowing to finance 90% of the cost of the purchase so, bigger your down payment, the less of a loan you'll have.
0: Right. Bigger down payment, less loan.
1: Yeah. Obviously, it's kind of basic stuff. You know, different mortgage lenders have different rates. You know, some have a rate, no points. Some have a lower rate with points. And so, you, you know, you got to work through all those things as you try to find a mortgage. The other thing, we've always preferred a fixed-rate mortgage. Um, and again, when we, were, when we were shopping for our mortgage, variable-rate mortgages were an option. They would give you a lower payment. A lot of times the payment was locked in for five years, but then the mm-hmm. rate can increase, the payment would increase, and I we just not like that. We just didn't want to take that risk. I mean, people would say, "Well, if you know you're not going to be in your home for more than five years, go with an adjustable rate mortgage." Well, I always felt like I didn't I didn't know anything to that degree of certainty, so right. we just always preferred fixed rate, even though it was you know traditionally been a little higher than the initial rate on an adjustable rate mortgage.
0: This might be an oversimplified question, but if you had someone who could. Basically, get there, buy a house faster, but maybe they did not have as much of the down payment and they had to pay a longer or higher rate for the mortgage, but they could start doing that now rather than paying money out for rent. Would you recommend that or would you recommend someone in that position say, you know what, I'm going to pay rent for a couple more years while I'm saving to then get a better mortgage, better rate, you know, a greater portion of the down payment. Does that make sense? I might need to buzz myself. Was that confusing?
1: <laughs> well, let me take a stab. <laughs> it, it does make sense, at least to me, and maybe that says something about me. But well, first of all, there's no there's no right answer. I mean, because you don't know how much how much money these people have in savings that you're talking about hypothetically. <laughs> these but people, but yeah. I will I will say this: when I was growing up, when my parents bought a house, when I was a kid, and even when I was a young adult, there was sort of this this uh, mentality of well, buy as much house as you can afford. You know, stretch a little bit when you buy that uh-huh. house because, you know, you'll have career progression, your income will grow, your payment will stay the same. If you've got a fixed-rate mortgage, you'll grow into it. And I think a lot of that thinking kind of got turned upside down on its head 10 years ago when the country went through the Great Recession. You know, I think one thing that came out of the Great Recession is people started recognizing that it's okay to rent. Mm. You know, whereas when I was growing up, You know, you were, people thought you were wasting money if you were renting because you were missing out on the tax deductibility of the mortgage interest. Right. You know, you were, you were uh, paying money to someone else when you could, you know, be, you know, making loan payments on your own house and all that's valid. But there's nothing wrong with renting until you're ready to buy a home. Okay. And so. I think
0: that's a great, simple correct answer to. <laughs> yeah. Every, there's nothing it's everybody's with, individual yes, situation, but there's nothing wrong with nothing renting,
1: with renting yes. until you're ready to buy a home.
0: Nothing wrong with renting until you're ready to buy a home. Right. That's kind of nothing wrong with renting until you're, no,
1: I'm not saying nothing
0: wrong with renting until you're but Oh, nothing, nothing wrong with renting until you're ready to buy a home. Hey, yeah, <laughs> I like it.
1: If you like that, go with it. <laughs>
0: Um, one of my newly married friends says, do you have general financial advice for newlyweds as far as combining bank accounts or managing money together?
1: Well, um, I will tell you this, we've already talked about budgeting. And so that's, I would say that's part of it. Paying yourself first, spending less than you make, budgeting, all that that we've already talked about. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of Christian financial planners would say that, um, husband and wife should have one checking account so they all know what the spending's, how the spending's going, no secrets, that kind of thing. Uh, you know when your, wife, your mom and I got married, uh, the way things were in banking was you could there could be severe, uh, there could be uh, career impediments if you had too many overdrafts. And we never wanted the communication snafu to cause overdrafts on a... Right. So we always we always kind of went against that grain and had separate accounts, but we still knew what each other was spending money on. So whatever works for you. For mm-hmm. us, it just turned out to be separate accounts. So, the, again, however much Angie needed for the things that she typically buys, groceries, clothes, stuff like that, that's what would get deposited from my paycheck into her account. But, you know, communication is important.
0: Right. Either so way. That's probably the main point is that you get everything on paper, you look at everything together and make decisions about what you're doing. Good deal. Okay. And lastly, I kind of gave you a heads up beforehand and ask if you would be willing to share this, but, um, about three years ago, three years ago, two years ago, almost three years, almost three years. You, well, you had worked for the same company for almost 30 years, your whole career, almost 30 years. And then, you experienced a position elimination and that was just a huge, I don't want to say surprise because you've thought about this for a long time, but you, you know, it was something that you had hoped would never happen, but it did. Um, and so I was wondering if you would share that story with us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'd be glad to. So I did. I had worked with one company for 29 plus years, almost 30. And, uh, you know, I think everybody, if, if you say, what are you most afraid of? Or what's something you're really afraid of? You know, uh, for me, the answer to that question would have been losing my job, being unemployed. And, or
0: something happening to your precious family members. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That, well, <laughs> I mean, know. Just, you know
1: yeah, obviously, obviously. <laughs> I know, I'm teasing. So, um,
0: but yes, no, that was a serious. Yeah, you know, yeah. so I did
1: think about that. And obviously, you know, people today don't spend their entire working career with one company. That's, you know, that was something that was done in my father's generation maybe some in my generation but not much hardly at all in your generation. And so but I had, in and on resume on LinkedIn it looks like two companies from an acquisition but it was really just one. Mm-hmm. And so uh there was a position elimination and um you know it was really a surprise and I find I found out about it maybe 4 months in advance mm-hmm. which was a blessing cuz I was able to start networking uh but it was interesting um there was somebody had, uh, several years ago, I had come across this book called The Red Sea Rules by Robert Morgan. And I thought, yeah, it looks like an interesting book. I need to read that. I never did. Mm-hmm. Well, when I found out that I was going to lose my job, I got interested and I read that book. And uh, the whole premise of that book is, it's sort of the subtitle, I think, is the God who led you into it will lead you out of it. And if you think about the Israelites when they left Egypt, the Exodus, God led them to the brink of the Red Sea where they were trapped by Pharaoh's army. They didn't just wander there by accident. God right. wasn't wringing his hands up in heaven thinking, oh, no, there's Pharaoh's army. What are we going to do? He led them there, right. and he led them there so he could do something miraculous. Now, I'm not saying that he leads us so he can do something miraculous, but, you know, I was—
0: Sometimes he does. I was
1: comforted even before reading that book, but I was really comforted after reading that book that, okay, so this has caught me off guard, but hasn't caught God off guard, mm-hmm. has not caught God off guard, right. and so that was a comfort, and— uh you know, I was really, you know, part of me was like really hoping that I'd find a new job, have one lined up when I left, and I didn't, so I really had to leave without knowing where the next job was going to come from. That was, from, hard. Like, that when was it, hard. Yeah, or when it was going to come, mm-hmm. but there was a peace there because I knew God was in control, and I think it also helped me handle it correctly. I really wasn't, you know, mad at the company or mad at the people involved. I just knew, you know, I guess from a secular standpoint, these things happen in business. But spiritually, I really knew that God was in control. Mm -hmm. And I was able able to tell some people at work that, you know, that, uh, you know, tell somebody who's probably a non-believer, Well, this, you know, this didn't catch God off guard. So I'm just trusting him and, you know, hoping for the best. And so and it worked out. I mean, I was uh, out of work for three months and I had a severance that was more than three months. And that's
0: something you had prayed specifically
1: yeah, for. I too. prayed, please don't let me lose my job, be unemployed, but if I am, you know, please bless me with a severance or other resources that will last longer than that's the, a, I unemployment. I mean, that is a
0: specific it's prayer. It's a
1: specific prayer, yeah. And, and so yes. it was a really, uh, it was a real blessed. And I'm really, I'm, I'm in a job similar to one, maybe that was a job now that's similar to two or three jobs in my previous employer that was really a better fit. So it really all worked out well, mm-hmm. really great. But it was a trying time. I would recommend the Red Sea Rules to any believer.
0: Dad, do you know that by the time your podcast airs, I interviewed the author, Robert J. Morgan. I've already interviewed him, and it's going to be the May podcast. Oh, cool.
1: No, I, I, I <laughs> try to remember that now. I remember that now. Okay. I'd forgotten about that. I'm like,
0: These, if, if they're consistent listeners of the podcast, they will have listened to him. Okay, And cool. I, I told Pastor Morgan that this book had meant so much to my family because, I mean, my mom read it. I've read it. Um, I think mom even gave it to me. She did before what it, your experience yeah, yeah um but anyway he i told him that this meant so much to our family and that you during that time you had a screenshot of the 10 red sea rules on your phone it's still my screenshot it's st- <laughs> still your screenshot yes, it is. so that when you look down you would just have a daily reminder of those truths one of them being this did not take god by surprise mm-hmm yeah. yes yeah
1: exactly so that's cool yeah glad isn't to, that very cool it is cool i love
0: that you talked about that that was a big part of your journey
1: yeah it was it was it, and, and what's interesting is i knew i wanted to read the book but it kind of hit me when everything's going well mm-hmm. <laughs> and so <laughs> who just, needs
0: the red sea well it wasn't that it <laughs> just, know. you know just
1: top 15 never cracks the top 10 kind of thing right you know but then i need to go read this
0: absolutely that's so. amazing thank you for sharing that dad
1: oh well, you're welcome
0: You've just done a great job. I really didn't buzz you at all. I buzzed myself. Do you need for to buzz me now just to just to yeah. get out of your system. It's so fun. (laughs) Well, I'm
1: sorry I denied you the opportunity to buzz me.
0: You did awesome. Thank you. You're just you're an amazing person, and I'm so grateful that you could come and share your wonderful self with my listeners. So
1: Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much.
0: This was great. Oh, you know what? I have an idea. Next we can have Ander come on for maybe a full episode if I can get him to talk the whole time, you know, or talk enough, right? Then maybe we could do a family podcast and have to buy some more microphones. That's true. Yeah. That could be interesting.
1: That's true. Yeah, that would be. And also.
0: (gasps) It's Angie. Ask Angie. Oh, (laughs) she's acting like she doesn't want to come on and say hi. Andrew already interrupted. So you should come. Say hi to the podcast. Hello, podcast friends. They can't hear you. You got to get closer. I said, hello, podcast friends. Friends, I miss you. Yes. I'm sure they miss you, too. They love you. You're a hit. It was a lot of fun to be on it. That's for sure. Well, we just wrapped up, Dad's, and he killed it. He did amazing. and I, I d- knew he would. I didn't even have to buzz him.
1: Yay. I let her do an honorary buzzer. Yeah. I buzzed <laughs> myself
0: for a complicated question I asked. Yeah,
1: I'm <laughs> proud. I knew he would.
0: He knows a lot, and heed his advice. Heed his advice. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, Dad. You're welcome. Oh, was that not so much fun? I hope you enjoyed that. I am so proud of my dad. He did a great job, and I'm so grateful he came on the show to share his advice. If you like what you hear, please support this podcast by giving it a rating, five stars preferably, and if you can write why you enjoy listening to the show, that makes it even better. It can be as short as great podcast. That's all you have to say. If you would like to follow me on social media, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as one, like the number, one Rachel Sinclair, and I'm on Facebook as Rachel Sinclair Writes. Lastly, make sure you're subscribed to my email list, which is in the show notes. I use it sparingly for giveaways and fun updates, so don't be afraid of getting too many emails. I would tell you to follow my dad on social media. But he's not there unless you want to hit him up on LinkedIn, and that's fine too. Thank you guys for listening. I will talk to you next time.